When creditors come after your wealth, is your asset protection plan good enough? Let's hear from the nation's premier expert, attorney Doug Lodmel. Investing Secrets with Kevin Attride. So today I have just an amazing guest. Doug Lodmel is one of the foremost experts of asset protection. And if you haven't heard his name, you really need to connect with him and his content. He is perhaps one of the best asset protection attorneys in the country. And so I'm just very excited to welcome Doug Lodmel. Thank you for joining our show today. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Great to be here. Well, Doug, tell me uh, just a little bit about you, your expertise, your background. I w- want to hear a little bit more about uh, all about you and, and how you're helping people. Yeah, so I'm, I'm an attorney and have been uh, for 25 years now. Um, every year that goes another year and I keep thinking, this, this can't be right. It's been, it's been I don't feel that old, um, but it's true. Um, I actually joined my father in practice 25 years ago, and, um, and he had been practicing for 25 years before I started. And um, really, asset protection came about as a practice area for both of us through real-world circumstance. I mean, he was involved in syndicating real estate before it was a thing, before it was everybody and their brother on YouTube teaching how to syndicate real estate. He was doing it in the 80s. Um, And in Arizona, we had the savings and loan crisis, and and this really created this crisis of, of, um, you know, it was kind of like a little mini 2008 is what occurred there. And... Through circumstance, he was able to protect a bunch of his clients' assets because the limited partnership syndications were set up in a limited partnership structure. And he was the general partner, and he was able to help them with their creditors because they were limited partners. Um, Once he got through all that, he said, this is really powerful. What if we did this on purpose? And he traveled uh, to, to Belize, who had just passed a statute and started looking into the offshore trusts and all of the things. And so he really um, started the asset protection practice. In 1997, I joined him and focused my attention completely on asset protection right from almost the beginning of law school. Um, I did a master's degree in taxation after law school and, again, focusing on what I knew I was already going to do. So um, what I ended up designing was really a function of a deep understanding of the difference between the legal system, the asset protection rules, and then the tax system, um, because there's 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 uh, a, a real interplay there that was able to be arbitraged, which I figured out. Um, and so so, you know, that's the background for the past 25 years. Our firm, Lodmel and Lodmel, has really done nothing but asset protection. And today we work with thousands of clients and hundreds of other attorneys who we actually support with their asset protection through what we have called the Asset Protection Council, which is a membership organization for other attorneys, CPAs, and financial advisors, uh, people who have clients and want to have help them get access to really good information about asset protection. Um, so, so, you know, that's how I got into it. And, and we're still here doing the same thing 25 years later. The wealthiest Americans utilize private banking. I recommend experts at Living Wealth when you're ready to implement this strategy. Well, and what's amazing is that you've really gotten to see what actually is working because of your experience, your father's experience. And then, you know, I love to hear that that tax side, because clearly the biggest expense in life is really important when it comes to the entities and the protections for asset protection as well. 
Yeah, yeah, and, and there's a lot of confusion, and especially um, with the tax scams that are going on. A lot of people have grabbed asset protection, particularly the offshore asset protection, and twisted it into something it's not, um, and and um, which is you know trying to basically say, hey, if you put your money offshore, you don't have to pay taxes on it. That is not true, um, and it's it's dangerous to follow that advice. So um, true asset protection is really going to be tax neutral. So when I say I figured out the tax, I figured out how to keep it tax neutral, um, to not increase your taxes, to not, not complicate your taxes either. Um, that's really the trick. Um, tax planning gets into a whole other area, which is probably another separate podcast. <laughs> well, that's really helpful. So tell us... Tell us more about the basics of asset protection. What is it? What is it not? Okay. So in its simplest form, asset protection is anything that would stop a creditor from reaching your assets. So one form of asset protection is just don't have anything, you know? So um, if you don't have anything, no one, I promise you, no one will bother suing you because there's nothing to get. They won't even be able to find an attorney because no attorney is going to take a case against someone who's just got nothing to get. So, from there, you say, well, maybe I don't want to have nothing, Doug. I'd like to build some assets. I'd like not to be in poverty my whole life. So what can I do if I do want to build assets? Well, then we have to say, okay, how can we create a structure, a legal structure that allows you to build assets where you yourself still can effectively kind of be in that own nothing, control everything mode? And so that's really the basis of asset protection. It's creating the legal framework that you can hold your assets in, which you benefit from and you even control, but you don't technically own directly any longer. So if you were to get sued and get a judgment against you, then there's, there's nothing that you have that can be taken directly. Um, and so that's the essence of it. So how that's actually done is through the use of legal entities, actual legal tools. Um, so some of those are limited liability companies, which I think most people are familiar with, have heard of. Probably some of you have them. Um, limited partnerships, which is a tool that's very similar to an LLC, a little bit different. Um, corporations and then really the asset protection trust or trusts. And the trust is the really unique part of it. The trust is what gives us all the design flexibility. It's also what gives us the greatest opportunity to separate that control element from the ownership or beneficial ownership element. Um, some people will, even other attorneys and CPAs will sometimes say, oh, well, we need to transfer ownership of this trust. And I hear myself saying, which is kind of counterintuitive, there really is no owner to a trust. It's, it's, an, it's an agreement. It's not like I can transfer the ownership. A trust has different players. It has a settler or creator of the trust, someone who says, hey, I'm going to create a trust. It has a trustee, which is the person entrusted with the assets. It has the assets, which you're putting in the trust. So actually, Kevin, you and I can create a trust right now. I say, hey, Kevin, would you take my son to the park with you when you take your kids to the park? And you say, sure, Doug. And I say, hey, here's 20 bucks. Please buy, buy my kid ice cream or lunch or whatever, whatever you want. Um, and, 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 uh, but don't use it for soda. No, no soda, please, because we don't, we don't drink soda. Um, we've just created a trust. I'm the settler or the grantor. 
you're the trustee, my son is the beneficiary, and $20 is the trust estate. We also did something else. We created a provision that said, hey, the money can be used for lunch or ice cream, but no soda. And so that's what's called a spendthrift provision. We're saying, hey, now my son might ask for soda. He say, hey, I, yeah, I would like a Coke with that. And then you as the trustee get to say, well, actually, money's not available for a Coke, Aslan, but it is available for ice cream afterward. And he says, okay. So those are conditions. And that's really unique to a trust. It's, it's much harder to try to accomplish something like that in an LLC or a corporation. Um, and trust law is also very robust and, and recognizes all of these, these, these provisions um, and the uh, way in which trusts are drafted. And so they're very effective. Um, and so that's really the essence of it. If you're looking at asset protection, ultimately a trust is going to be the foundation of it all. When the dollar isn't buying what it used to, I recommend McIlvaney ICA for your gold and silver IRA or private collection to hold value for decades. The trust, the entities are important. A lot of people also think about insurance. So you know, tell us, is insurance enough? Um, is it first line defense? You know, go, go a little deeper around what does insurance look like in the asset protection toolkit? Yeah, in- insurance is, um, is important. And it's not something you want to, you know, see as a hassle or a nuisance or, or uh, unnecessary. It is necessary. Um, in fact, asset protection and insurance work together to solve problems. So insurance should be seen as first line of defense, particularly for insurable things. The most common of which is cars. Um, that's probably the single greatest risk all of us take is driving. When I go home today, that's probably the biggest risk I take today is just getting home. Um, and that's because it's not all, uh, it's not just about us. There's other people on the road who may not be paying attention or who are texting, um, which statistically makes them more dangerous than being drunk. And, um, and, and we, that cars are, are, are very dangerous and people get injured and there's lots of expenses related to that. There's entire industries built around car accidents. The entire plaintiff's attorney and the billboards of those have, you know, have you been injured? It's all built around car accidents. So insurance is absolutely your first line of defense. So if you have any kind of significant wealth, not only would I have insurance, I would have an umbrella policy on top of the insurance. What you have to understand, though, about insurance is that insurance is liability-based. So if you buy auto insurance, it's only going to cover an auto accident. If you buy homeowner's insurance, it's only going to cover issues related to the home. If you buy aviation insurance or boat insurance, it's only going to cover those things. When you buy an umbrella, it's not actually covering more. It's covering to a higher limit. That's all an umbrella does. So it should really be called elevator insurance. It should be called, you know, excess uh, coverage insurance. It Umbrella makes it seem like it's giving you a broader coverage area. It's not. It's giving you the exact same coverage that you have. It's just adding to your existing limits. But I do think that's important because I've seen lots of car accidents be in the 10 and $20 million liability range just for a car accident. It's not that hard anymore to find yourself in that situation. So I do believe that umbrella is important, but it's always going to be limited in its coverage to just the thing named in the policy. 
Asset protection is quite the opposite. Asset protection doesn't care what the liability is. We're not specifying a series of liabilities and saying we're only covering that. We're taking the assets themselves and we're wrapping them up in a, in a protective blanket of protection. And so it doesn't matter if it's a bank, a creditor, a car accident, or the IRS. Asset protection can be effective against all those. Um, not that I recommend, you know, trying it with the IRS, but from a from a from a standpoint of of would it work? Yes, it's actually protecting the assets. So even super creditors, governmental agencies have 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 found themselves unable to get into an asset protection trust. It's that effective. So together, insurance and asset protection work fantastic because if you find yourself in a car accident that has this really unlimited type of liability and you do have a reasonable amount of insurance, then when they go looking for, are we going to sue you? Are we going to settle? If you can say, hey, I've got a reasonable amount of insurance. There's a $3 million umbrella. Um, it's not nothing. And by the way, I have all my assets, which is another $3 million, but they're totally protected and unreachable your chances of that plan of taking the insurance and walking away happy go way, way up. Whereas if you don't have any protection and they see that extra three million, they might say, well, no, I know I'm going to get the insurance. Let me just go for both. And so they work hand in glove. So I am a fan of insurance. Um, I'm not uh, um, a, uh, a fan of, of, of going crazy if, if you have something where you, the premium is out of control. Um, and that's really almost a different topic where you're in a particular area where your premium is just so ridiculous that you have to really consider whether you should be having insurance or not. Doug, that's great. So you've, you've talked about a, a number of different situations. Can you describe you know, when someone's under that 500 or a million dollar range, what does asset protection and insurance look like for him or her? When someone's, you know, I'll call it an accredited, an investor, you know, maybe up to $5 million or, you know, the super wealthy, what does that, what does that scaling look like from uh, entities and, and insurance? It's a great question. Um, so insurance, um, I, I think even under a million, you should definitely have a, a, like a million dollars worth of umbrella. Um, the reason I believe in that is that it's very inexpensive insurance. Um, it's going to be more expensive for you to bump your normal insurance up to the minimum level that you can even add the umbrella than the actual umbrella itself. Um, uh, I think what happens is people start life and they're young and they're in college and they don't have any money. And so they just go, whatever the legal minimum is, that's what I want. Ten years later, they're no longer young. They're making money. They have some assets and they've never revisited their insurance and they're still driving around with $50,000 worth of coverage. Or, or there's the, that Tesla on the road that costs $100,000, and so <laughs> you're, you're already underinsured from the get-go. Right, or yeah, or the car you have is just, you, you, don't, you, you haven't re-looked at it. So insurance should be looked at on a regular basis all the time. You should just constantly be looking at your insurance and just make sure it's keeping up with your net worth and the risk that you have. Um, asset protection should also be looked at pretty much from the day you really first have an asset. Most people's first asset is going to be their home. They're going to buy their first home and they're going to have a little bit of equity. You should even at that point be asking, well, what would happen? Is my home protected? Now, most states do have some type of homestead exemption protection, meaning you, you, can, you, can, you can have a liability and still keep some amount of money in your home. Um, 
Texas is unlimited. Florida is unlimited. California is now $600,000 of equity. Arizona is $250,000 of equity and everything in between. So you should know, hey, my first $250,000 of equity in my home in Arizona is protected. I don't really need to do anything. But now you're going to buy your first rental house and you're going to take $100,000 and put it down and buy a $500,000 house and rent it out. Was that protected? No, that won't be protected. So now you're probably looking at something just as simple as a limited liability company to hold that rental property. And then as you go from there, we just keep layering on. Um, If you buy a second home or a third home, we might add another LLC. Um, We might add a holding company on top of those LLCs because you've decided you're also going to do some syndication deals and you're going to have two or $300,000 in syndications and you like that protected. And next thing you know, you find yourself at the million dollar mark and you have a holding company and you have a couple of LLCs and you're about to pop over it and, and things are going well and your properties are getting more valuable and you continue to save. And now we might look at adding an asset protection trust. Um, so, so insurance would be the first thing, looking at what assets are exempt, like your homestead exemption in your state, and then asset protection tools come on top of that. Um, and that's how you'll find yourself in life. You'll first start buying insurance, and then you'll, you know, you'll find you'll have a, some equity and some exempt assets like your home. And then finally, you're going to say, oh, I need to add my first LLC and, and build from there. If you don't know where to start investing in real estate, I recommend Norada Real Estate Investments. Their counselors are impactful. And so when is the, the criteria of which you really would start talking about a bridge trust with your client? So a bridge trust is really at the million dollars of assets that are otherwise unprotected. So if you have one home in Texas and you have $2 million of equity, you don't need a bridge trust because your home equity in Texas is fully protected. So don't worry about it. However, if you live in Arizona and you have one home with $2 million of equity, now we need to consider it because you only have $250,000 of protection for that equity. So when we look at a bridge trust, it's about the million dollar mark, definitely between one and $2 million of protectable assets, which aren't otherwise covered by either an exemption or something that takes them off the table, like a qualified plan. Is it another exempt asset? Your 401k, your IRAs, um, those are already pretty much exempt from creditors. So, so somewhere between one and 2 million is where you're probably looking at adding the bridge trust. Okay. That's helpful. And, and Doug, for those who haven't heard you talk about the bridge trust before, can you go in just a little detail for, for that? Sure. Yeah. And this kind of really just, um, begs a a little bit of a uh, history of asset protection. Um, So asset protection with a trust really first started in 1984. A little country called the Cook Islands said, hey, what if we draft a statute specifically allowing people to put their assets in and write their own spendthrift provisions, which would protect from creditors? It would be like my son giving you the $20 and then saying, hey, here's $20. Would you buy me lunch, you know, buy me ice cream, but if my buddy Jimmy comes over, I owe him 10 bucks. Tell him, tell him you can't give it to him, right? So my own son is coming to you to protect his money from his own creditor. That's effectively what an asset protection trust allows, is for you to put your own money in trust for yourself and tell your own creditors, sorry, I don't have it. I, you can't reach it. Um, and this was pretty revolutionary. And this really only existed offshore in the beginning. Um, and, and many of the attorneys at the time and, and, and commentators were like, 
that can't be possible. We can't do that. That's never going to work. Well, lo and behold, it did work. It worked really well. And in fact, it works so well. Stay tuned in next week's episode when Doug will explain his ironclad strategy to protect your assets using the Bridge Trust. And there are more investing secrets that are quite powerful for you to build and maximize your wealth. As a matter of fact, I've created a free guide to help you to be more effective in your investing journey. It's called the Top Investing Hacks the Exclusive Rich Are Not Telling Us. And I want you to take action right now by clicking the link in the description below. I want you to have this exclusive access so that you can understand the strategies and the tactics the rich use to maximize and grow their wealth. All right, it's time for you to experience financial freedom. The information contained in this episode are opinions not to be used as individual guidance. As always, consult your own financial team for your investment decisions.